Social entrepreneur Jeremy Chen has started, sold and closed a few businesses in his day, but it's his tie business that he started that's most interesting. When people stopped wearing ties a few years ago, he had to decide whether to shut up shop, grind it out or pivot. Fortunately, a last-minute order from one special customer made the decision for him. Well, I said, welcome to a small business marketing show where successful small business owners share their souls to take your marketing straight to the lead. Now, here's your host, Mr. Timbo And welcome back to your weekly dose of marketing ridiculousness. I'm your host, Timbo Reed. You Infinitely more importantly, you're a motivated business owner and you're ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it deserves to be. Today's 442nd episode is made possible thanks to the good guys at American Express and Design Crowd. And guess what? Big show today. Oh yes, indeedly doodly. Serial entrepreneur Jeremy Chen talks about the numerous businesses he started and the pivot he made with his last one that led to a $6 million payoff. I announced the overall winner of this year's Monster Prize Draw, who wins a lazy $3,000 worth of goodies. And this week's Jingle of the Week, I love it. It's just in time for the long, hot Aussie summer. As per usual, team, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Okay, let's meet serial entrepreneur Jeremy Chen, who's started, sold and closed quite a few businesses in his day. But the one that caught my attention was how he started a retail business selling ties, then quickly faced a perfect storm of disasters, including the global financial crisis, people stopping wearing ties and his warehouse burning down. That is a perfect storm of disasters. Now, under these circumstances, he had every reason to capitulate, to throw in the towel. Instead, Jeremy successfully pivoted the business into a branded merchandise business, thanks to one special customer who walked into his tie shop one day and made an order that changed everything. I started off by asking Jeremy what he loved about business. My favourite thing, um, Tim, is actually... But I'm, I'm, I'm the creative side of my business partnership and I like the idea creation and, and sort of taking a, a concept from, you know, something that frustrates me. I know it's very cliche, but something that frustrates me and, and sort of trying to see an opportunity in it and seeing, you know, trying to weigh up the pros and cons and whether or not we can take something to market that will address that, you know, that pain point, I guess. I don't think that's cliched at all, Jeremy. I think that's really interesting. I mean, I think the creative side of business is incredibly exciting. So um, give us an idea. <laughs> boom, boom. Give us a – paint a picture of what that process looks like for you. you is, it, is it as simple as you experience a personal – a problem in your personal or business life and go about solving it? Or how does it – what's it look like? Um, to be absolutely honest, um, a lot of the, the personal ones that I come up with um, you, know, um, you know, everyday problems that everyone faces aren't actually ones that sort of make it to market. Um, personally, I feel, you know, I, I love, you know, everyone has a million ideas and quite often, you know, they don't have legs. Um, you know, they're, they're nice to have, but they're probably not things that people would pay money for, I think. 
Um, so, you know, we, we go through the process. My business partner and I quite often sit down. And we, we, the number of times we've registered businesses or domain names because we've had great ideas. <laughs> we've, we've literally got about 100 domain names. And funnily enough, they're all kind of probably worth something. Um, but, you know, we've pretty much we've registered, I think, five or six PT World TD companies over the years and, mm-hmm. and kind of started with things and thought, look, wait a second, um, I, you know, maybe this isn't as great as this. And inevitably, which is um, and something I can, I can go into great lengths about, is we, 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 we almost always revert back to, you know, what we know will work and kind of, you know, what we're currently working on. Yes. Because I, I think we, we, we certainly don't, you know, believe that, you know, you spread yourself too thin. Well, not at our size anyway. Uh, I'm with you, mate. I think I, I at one point I had about two, I think 200, 250 domain names. I was GoDaddy's best friend, and um, you just get a bit excited, right? I mean, my, for me, it was a few years ago when there was still some available, and I have sold uh, sold them off. But um, it's yeah. it's an exciting time. You've kind of got to you've kind of got to have a little bit of put a reality check on it, don't you? Otherwise, you can be off chasing bright shiny objects. Absolutely. And uh, look, I've, I've actually had a really interesting story. Um, uh, you know, I'll tell you in a nutshell, I was um, seated next to a uh, an older gentleman on a flight from Melbourne, Sydney once. And we're talking, and it was an interesting, you know, he was a very good listener, I can give you that. And um, at the end of it, um, he gave me his card and he said, stay in touch. And I, I turned over his business card, and it was the chairman of the ASX, um, the current chairman of the ASX. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we, we talked in, the, we actually shared a, a car, well, he, he gave me a lift home in Sydney, and um, hey, I, I told him about my dilemma. I said, you know, I've got this great pie-in-the-sky idea, you know, it's, it's game-changing, it involved drones and this and that, and uh, this was two years ago. And and But I said, problem is, you know, I've got my core business, which is going really well and it's growing rapidly, it's bread and butter. It's not, you know, it's probably not nearly as, um, you know, uh, sexy or appealing or, you know, exciting, but it's, you know, it's a burden hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it was really great validation for him to say, "Look," he said to me, "Jeremy, you've made the right move. You got to have, you know, you got to, you got to go with what works. Um, you, you can do your pot shots later." But he, he, it was validating for me. It made me feel really good that you know we didn't drop everything we did effectively and you know have have a pot shot. Well, I think it's, a, uh, you know, it was very reaffirming for for us. Yeah, right. I don't know. I might have looked at the chairman of the ASX and gone, well, you're not a small business owner. You're probably quite conservative in the way you go about things. <laughs> Whatever you say, I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know what? I, I think one part of me always says, oh, you know, I could have been that, you know, everyone, you never know what, how blue the sky is. You know, you could have gone big and gone to Silicon Valley and this sort of thing. But at the end of the day, I, I think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a realist as well. And just having a, someone of, you know, of his kind of standing, yes. validate that was um, made me feel better about you know potential loss opportunities. Can you share what the drone idea was? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, it was basically um, I'm I'm a pretty keen drone enthusiast, and I kind of felt that you know it was very difficult for people, and still is very difficult for people to to take drone videos or aerials of themselves in like landmark positions. So call it Sydney Harbour Bridge. You say you're a tourist, you know, taking a photo at this kind of place is a good thing, but. Having an, an, an epic flyover with you included in it is, you know, game-changing. It's much more interesting on your Instagram feed or your Facebook, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And it was just a, basically a model which would allow that um, using technology, which, which coincidentally, once, once we dug deep, isn't really uh, invented yet. So that's probably the main stumbling block. We'll probably require a million bucks to develop it. Right. Well, a million bucks these days, hey. You know, everyone's walking around that with their, you know, well, at least they own houses of that value, maybe not cash in pocket. 
exactly. Let's just go through in just summarize the each one of the businesses that you have started and why you started it. Oh, how long have you got, Tim? Oh, is there that many? But I, uh, my research tells me there was only about four. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's a decent story behind each one, and that's certainly um, they're measured in years, um, most of them. Well, um, I think I think what's really interesting, and then I, I'm not looking for a shopping list, and nor my listeners, but I think what's interesting yeah. is, you know, yeah, I mean, wh- yeah, why did why did you start it, and and why did you close it? Because right now you've just got the one business, so the others are obviously closed, right? Uh, yes, kind of. It's kind technically, that technically they're still open, but they're not. Um, you know, yeah, turnover, anything substantial. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, look, the first one, which is, is still, you know, for me, I think for every, everyone will be tell you the same thing. The first one's always the most exciting. What it actually happened was my business partner and I finished um, studying IT and we're working in the IT world, and you know, we're, yeah, we're both doing you know reasonably well for twenty-four-year-olds in the IT corporate mm-hmm. world. And um, at the same time, you know, we'd meet up after uh, work once a week and, you know, it wasn't our calling. And I think a lot of people, you know, can identify with that. You know, yes. they're like, you know, I can't see myself sitting in it, facing computers five days a week for the rest of my life. Hey, Jeremy, there's a lot of people sitting in cubicles saying they can't do this for the rest of their <laughs> life and they're dying to do what you do, which is to have a business idea and take it to market. Yeah. Well, I, I think how we did it realistically is how I'd certainly recommend for people to do it, and that is literally get on a Skype um, at 6 p.m. most nights after we got home from work and literally work till midnight uh, and do a second shift starting this online business. And what we, we, we realised at the, at the time, it seems silly to say it now, but in 2006, digital cameras were a really big thing, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody was just buying memory cards like crazy, like these compact flash cards and SD cards. And the memory was a big kind of online thing and, and you know, it was traded a lot online. And we um, we saw an opportunity for that, and we literally just created a, created a, web, created a website um, using OS Commerce. You know, we kind of had a, a enough basic knowledge to get it going. Put you know ten memory cards on there, switched on some Google Ads. Love it. And uh, you know what? It's amazing. The, the reason why it was so good, Tim, is because you you literally turn on your ads, and five minutes later, you get a little. You know, ka ching yeah. And we'd be like, wow, we just sold a $150 memory card. And would you believe it or not, in our first 12 months of trading, doing that, whilst, you know, doing it on the side. So I'd, I'd come home from work and ship, ship orders out of our, my living room. I think we almost cracked a million bucks. It was, it was, Good on you. you know, which was kind of big. Like, it was a big deal for us back then. Mate, that's a big deal now for anyone. That's, an, that's a great story. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? We were so excited about it. And every night, you know, come home and check, you know, there was five orders or six orders waiting. And, and we obviously, we branched out from there. We did, uh, you know, other electronics, digital cameras, all these other things. But the core kind of um, profitable product line was memory cards because they were small, they had decent margins, et cetera, et cetera. But the big thing that we learned from this was, firstly, after a year, um, by the way, I think we started with $5,000 each seed money that we put in. After, you know, I think it was eight or $900,000 turnover and a, and a years of doing this, we uh, looked at our bank balance and it was still, I think it was like, say, $4,000 and we had $10,000 in stock. Ooh, so we, yeah. we basically, we turned over a whole bunch of money and we had no, nothing to show, but we weren't paying ourselves. Um, so we're like, uh, look, it might have been a bit more than that, but it certainly wasn't yeah. even enough to pay us $3 an hour or whatever it would have wow. been. What did you and, do wrong? Oh, well, what did we do right was probably more the answer, but... <laughs> I think it was certainly a case of people underestimate. Oh, sorry, we underestimate that. You know, you have to count your time. I mean, if you're not, if you're not spending 
your time doing it and you're paying someone to do it, right? Yeah. So that's a, that's a, every day of the week we lost, you know, probably 100 grand that year. <laughs> it's an interesting learning that. I don't think anywhere near enough business owners account for their time. They factor mm-hmm. in everything else, hard yeah. costs, all that stuff, other people's costs. Exactly. And, the, and, and you know, leaving out your time make, can actually kind of make the bottom line look pretty good <laughs> when yeah, you factor absolutely. it in. Absolutely. And, and look, um, what it came down to was we said, all right, we've been doing this for a year. Why don't we have, you know, anything to show for it? And we said, we had a look, you know, and our gross margin was, say, 10, it's called 10%. We made 80 grand. Then we looked at our Google invoices for the last 12 months and it was 90 grand. Uh, we're like, oh, okay, that's where, that's where it is. I mean, if you're paying for all your advertising, so, Jeremy, have you yep. have you managed to? I want to hear about the other businesses because that's a good mm-hmm. story in itself. Uh, have you managed to harness that feeling of the first business, bottle it, and carry it forward into the other businesses to, to current day? I think yes, to a certain extent, but it's still not the same. It's, it's kind of like your first yeah. car, right? You're still yeah, yeah. Sent- sentimental about it. Your first anything, really? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I think where we went from there is actually um, was the next learning stage again, and it's, it's been quite incremental for us. I'd like to say that we were geniuses and we learned from that and you know turned our lives around. But so we sat down again, Tim, and we, we were like, okay, what's where are we going wrong here? And, and, and we thought, you know, look, the margins aren't good enough for resellers, and you know, we sourced as well as we could, but there just wasn't enough in it. Um, so at the same time, we're still working in the corporate world, mind you. I went to the Canton Fair, the big trade fair in China. That's uh, literally where you can source anything and everything that's you know that China, mm-hmm. China makes, which is everything. And um, look, I was browsing around, and I just remember I took, you know I was so green. I was, I was like, what? Well, you know, I'd go past a, a, a vendor that had smoking monkeys, and I'd be like, <laughs> we need to import these smoking monkeys. There's a market. Australian for this. needs smoking monkeys. Exactly, and like. You know, literally everything was oh, – I would have taken thousands of photos, got thousands of business cards and catalogs, and I came back with a luggage full of it, and I just not know where to start. And, you know, that, that's the same, I guess, naivety that, uh, you know, most people have when they start. You can sell anything, but can you sell it, you know, with a profit? And, you know, what's your sales channels? What's your – how are you going to go to market and that sort of thing? And, um, look, I ran it by my business partner and a few things, and, look, the logical – we took the easy thing and probably the only thing we knew when we thought – Look, we make ties to work every day. There's this really cool tie factory, and they've got cool designs, and we can come up with some cool designs, and we ran with ties. That's what you got from the Canton Fair. Yeah, ties, ties and cufflinks just, and uh, Just on that, um, I'm interested uh-huh. to know, why did you take off to the Canton Fair? That it Was it, was it you, you thought, bugger it, I'm going to go on a holiday to China and uh, whilst I'm there, visit the fair and come back with some business ideas? Yeah, it was, a, it was a combination of things, actually, Tim. So um, my family have been in business, you know, they're, they're traders. They've been importers for at least uh, one or two generations. And, you know, I've heard about this big, bad fair for, you know, from mm. many years from my father and my brother and that sort of thing. And they're, they're in the food game. But I thought, you know, I, I'm, I have no real interest in following their footsteps. So I thought, look, combination, it was my first major overseas trip by myself. So mm-hmm. it's certainly an adventure-inspired, you could say. Mm-hmm. And uh, definitely, I uh, thought you know, if you can, if you mix business with um, a holiday, that's still kind of my favourite sort of trip. Just briefly paint a picture of the Canton Fair because I've heard stories about it. I mean, I don't think there's nothing compares to it in Australia. Just how big is it? Uh, look, the, the way I like to get, put it in the scale is there's um, there's a main like grand hall, which is Melbourne. If you take Melbourne Exhibition Centre, which people think is quite big, and you times <laughs> if you times it by twenty. Uh, and then you put a second floor because there's usually two or three floors. That's one of the um, um, oh. phases, and there's four phases. So you can literally walk um, for 
one month every day without stopping and be quick and you won't get through everything. It's one of those things you'd have to walk in with intention. You'd have to walk in with an objective and like, <laughs> <laughs> clearly you didn't. You, yeah, you, were just, yeah. you, you were just gobsmacked when you saw the smoking monkeys. You're like, we uh, made it. I found it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And look, well, I went there with open mind and mm-hmm. uh, I, I came back. Um, I, was, I was really just lucky to draw. What, what, what do we buy, right? So we, Tim and I looked at each other and we were like, you know, we spend $80 or $60 or $100 on a, on a necktie. These things are costing us anywhere between three and eight US dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we were licking our lips. We thought, "Wow, we're making ninety dollars a time." But you know, that was the second mistake we made, really. Okay, so explain that business because that wasn't the most. That's a business that's led you into what you're doing now, which we'll come to. But didn't you have a frozen foods business and an electronics business? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, at the time, actually, the, the the food business, the frozen foods business, was actually a. Um, Kind of came out as a result of a fa- the failed Thai business. So that was uh, towards the uh, end of that. Uh, okay. Uh, when we were, we were struggling quite a bit and our backs were up against the wall and we were really looking at, you know, um, basically trying to get a solid um, run on the board. Uh, you know, being, I think we we're mid to late 20s at that point, 28 to 29, and we were thinking, okay, we need, we need a, sure, a sure winner here. We need something that will put, uh, put dollars in the bank. Um, so basically, um, I had spoken to my brother, who's currently still in the frozen food game. He, he came up with the idea, but we sort of developed the idea of a, a chain of you know stores where people would go for frozen foods, like a specialist frozen food retailer. Oh, yeah. And so we basically signed our first lease uh, in Sydney around Brunswick. And Aldi was still kind of no, a bit of a novelty and new then. We thought we were, you know, we were onto a jackpot of a winner because we'd signed a lease two doors down from a new Aldi on Sydney Road. Mm-hmm. And so what had happened was Tim and I, we thought, okay, we're going to take the first of these, uh, I guess, franchises or the master franchise. We would run this. And, you know, we've, we had retail experience at that point, or so we thought we did in a different category. And we saw the potential. I mean, there's, uh, food is a totally different market. And to be honest, we were quite disillusioned with discretionary spending, which is where we came from. You know, one day everyone's buying your product, next day they don't need it. Mm-hmm. So from our perspective, it was like people have to eat. Food is food, and you know it wasn't luxury or high-end foods we're doing. We're doing staple um, foods like fish and seafood and um, snack foods, so commonly eaten frozen foods. You know, you call it your spring rolls, your dumplings, your you know um, frozen fish, frozen prawns, that sort of thing. And it's quite quite complementary also to the Aldi offering, and it's a high high um, pedestrian sort of. Um, thoroughfare on, yeah, on the main road there and look we did it for a year and i guess it was very similar to um i guess the margin issue we're having so look sales the sales were good but it probably taught us a lesson in terms of to operate a store or operate an online store whatever the case may be you need to factor in paying at least a couple of wages unless you intend to be an own operator so i guess once we paid you know effectively 1.5 to two people's wages um, there was wasn't a lot left in it after that, so there was not no profit after that. Being a, the, the the trend so far, Jeremy, is that you are an ideas guy. You love coming <laughs> up with the next next big thing. Uh, yep. I'm guessing Tim is that your brother, your business partner, uh, business partner, no business partner, U- university uh, friend. Yep. Okay, uh, I'm guessing he has a more kind of rational view of the world. Would that be fair, or are you both ideas guys? Because it doesn't sound like you sort of crunch too many numbers or do too much research. <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. It certainly sounds that way. I'm seeing that now as well. He's certainly the pragmatic guy, um, and in our current current business, um, that's that's what he's all about. He's all about getting the numbers, getting the sales mm. on the board, and making sure we hit our targets. 
Just as, I want to get back to the tie business now, but I'm interested to understand what role marketing played in those businesses. Was mm-hmm. it was it a critical component? Was it an overlooked component? To be fair, I think um, it was. It wasn't certainly wasn't overlooked. We'd always been um, quite heavily invested in the um, the pay per click spending um, ever since 2000 and, yeah 2006, which was kind of relatively early in the grand scheme of things. And uh, I think what we underestimated certainly is what percentage that is as a, a, you know, as a, a chunk of your sales. We've always constantly had pay-per-click campaigns going. Organically, we've done quite well. Um, but I think realistically, um, I, heard a, I heard a saying recently in, in regards to marketing, and I don't know word for word, but something along the lines of advertising is, you know, is the, the price you have to pay for being boring. <laughs> I like that. And that really resonated with me because uh, if I'm being brutally honest with myself, I don't feel like, I mean, you see beautiful advertising campaigns all the time, but I mean, a lot of my purchasing anyway, a lot of most people's purchasing isn't that they see an ad and buy something, they'll hear of something. And these are before before the Instagram days, you know, you have to kind of create some kind of promotion and, you know, the best brands, you know, do it without necessarily spending you know, a percentage of their margin or their yeah. percentage of their profits. So, If you need anything designed and you don't have a huge budget, then you're going to love Design Crowd. And I mean like anything designed. There's a list on their homepage of 60 categories of things small businesses need designed, from stationery, logos, merch, we all love a bit of merch, labels, social media pages, ads, ebooks, book covers, the list goes on and on and on. And Design Crowd gives you access to designers like 500,000 designers from Sydney to London and everywhere in between. And it's so simple to use. Here's what you do. You post a brief describing your design need. Within hours, you'll receive your first design. And over the next three to 10 days, a typical project will receive 60 to 100 different designs from designers everywhere. You then pick your favorite design, make any changes, pay the designer. And you don't pay them a whole lot, let me tell you. And I'm going to make it even cheaper for your first design. All you need to do is go to designcrowd.com forward slash Timbo and you'll get $100 off your first brief. That's designcrowd.com forward slash Timbo and you'll get 100 bucks off your first brief. We're chatting with Jeremy Chen, the founder of Be Promotive, a business we'll get to in a minute, and and a number of other businesses as we are finding out. Jeremy, you're in China, Canton Fair. You've decided it's ties. We're we're doubling down on ties. Yeah. So you, you come back with a sea, a sea crate container. That would be a huge. There's a lot of ties, but you come back with a lot of ties. What do you do with them? We were literally staring, staring. I think we didn't do a whole container, luckily, but we did. Uh, I think two thousand times our first order. We're staring at them, and the funny thing in hindsight is we had zero plans to sell them in, on how to sell them when they arrived. We just sort of. I just remember staring at these boxes with my business partner and saying, "All right, let's move these things." Hang on, let me just just to be clear. You bought two thousand ties. They were between three and eight US dollars each. Let's call it five. So you got yep. two thousand of five. There's twenty thousand US dollars tied up in ties, which you didn't know what to do with. Mm-hmm. Correct. <laughs> so I, I think it's very much a case of uh, what do they say? So take a step first, then uh, you know, then just shoot right. first, aim, aim later. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. And, and we were just so pumped about this product because you know we were tie wearers ourselves. We thought, you know, everyone wants these ties. How good could the product have been? Isn't it a tie, a tie, a tie? Oh, Tim, you got to look in your wardrobe and see if you've got a tied up tie, and you'll you'll Mate. understand. Mate, I don't own a tie. 
Oh. <laughs> well, mate, you must have been given one, mate, because we, we sold, you know, a couple of hundred right. thousand in our time, I reckon. So you've cut the, they arrived back on uh, Australian shores. What did you do? E-commerce, go and take a shop in Collins Street, Melbourne, <laughs> Macquarie Street, Sydney? I don't know. What did you do? Yeah, well, so our only plan at that point was, you know, we, we thought we knew online pretty well. So we had, uh, you know, tiedup.com.au, we had a brand, we had um, pay-per-click campaigns we had going, we had photos that we put up. But the problem back then is that online shopping was, you know, it's probably like 10% of what it was now. Like people would never buy online. Um, mm. I think at our peak we were doing about 10 orders a week. So certainly not, you know, anything yeah. to write home about. No. You put on your 2006 hat now, you, you, you'll remember that uh, everyone bought things in shops. And, you know, we were uh, all about shopping and, you know, we, you know, we thought what shopping centres do we hang out at, where can we get casual leases at, all that sort of thing. And, we um we started as a, a lot of great businesses do in, in in these sort of pop up sort of markets market stalls mm-hmm. not not even pop ups because pop ups imply you have a lease we had a couple of trestle tables with tablecloths on them so I remember clearly we we, we signed up uh, with I think it was Challenger um, the property group they had casual leases at Jam Factory in South Yarra mm-hmm. and uh, Century City Walk in Glen Waverley and what I'd do is I'd take my you know hundred tires and I'd go down to Glen Waverley every Saturday afternoon. And Tim would do the equivalent in South Yarra and, you know, put our, put our ties out there and, and, you know, see who'd, who'd come up. So many people I've spoken to over the years have done that, which gives you a proof of concept, you know, starting in a fa- whether it be a farmer's market or a car boot sale market. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even the girls who started Spell on the Gypsy Collective, which is a now a burgeoning $30 million a year business in Byron Bay, started yeah. in a car park in Byron Bay selling from the back of their boot. And um, it is great yeah. proof of concept, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, it sounds crazy to think about it now, but people were nuts about our product. Like we had a, um, you know, like I think it was one tile was was $40, $40, two was 73 for 100 or something around, around that mark. And we'd laid early tables out and they came in these little gift boxes and we would have people come up, you know, at the start they'd come up and buy a couple and then you'd see them two weeks later and they'd come up and buy eight tires. They're like, you guys have the best tires ever. Normally they're comparable to a $90, $100 product. They came in a gift box, and we, we built a following, and nobody bought one tire because of the way the pricing was structured and, and that sort of thing. And so within a month, we, we were like, okay, this, is, this has got legs, um, you know, it's easy, which was easy to say at the time because the overheads were effectively just paying ourselves. Yes. Okay. So proof of concept, you're off to the races. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm guessing you look Tim in the eye mm-hmm. and you go, we've got to go and get a shop, Timmy. We're onto something mm-hmm. here. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I felt like um, we had, you know, like a secret formula, like the Coca-Cola or something. I remember saying to him and him saying to me, look, let's not tell him about this. We, let's not, you know, let's not give away our, our, our first mover advantage. We yes. genuinely thought we'd invented something. And, um, and you know, from there, you know, I think it probably took us probably three or four months of solid trading. And, you know, we're doing anywhere between 1000 and $2,000 revenue per day with no cost effectively because they'll casual leases pay per day kind of thing. Then we, we, we had these grand visions of saying, why can't we have a tied up on every corner, you know, every street corner in every city in Australia, people need tires. We got them, come get them. So from there we thought, okay, how do we start selling a thousand tires a week instead of a thousand tires a month? There's only two of us. So we started hiring, you know, uh, as all great businesses do family, friends and brothers, friends, sisters, mm-hmm. friends, and that sort of thing on a casual rate. So we could work on, you know, getting resellers. We'd literally, drive around the city and one of us would jump out, one of us would be driving and walk into a menswear store and say, 
we want you to sell our tires. These are the prices, et cetera, et cetera. And people embraced it. It worked. We, we, we'd fly to Sydney and just hit 10 menswear stores and probably six out of 10 would, um, would say, all right, give it to us. And um, that's a whole separate kind of business concept altogether. I mean, that was actually a bit of a headache as far as, you know, um, uh, payment and that sort of thing goes. Yeah, but, I can imagine. Know, it did build up, you know, revenue on paper. It's just, you know, payment was a real pain. But um, anyway, back to the core of the business was we, we, we signed six retail leases in, in all the major shopping centres in Melbourne. We almost had one in Sydney, which thank thank goodness that uh, they pulled out in that. Westfield in, in Sydney pulled out in that. Otherwise, we would have been stuck for even longer in a city that we didn't live in kind of thing. So Now, just to be clear, and for overseas listeners and for those of us who haven't taken a retail lease in a major shopping centre, mm-hmm. these things aren't cheap. And they, I, from what I hear, you mm-hmm. know, the contracts kind of tie you up, excuse the pun, yep. uh, to within <laughs> inch, an inch of your life. So, look, without uh, totally being uh, all negative about it, but <laughs> at the same time telling the truth, is I wouldn't wish a, a you know a, a shopping centre lease on anybody. Not my worst enemy. Um, I think as far as um, as you know, naive, naive, how naive we were goes. We we you know signed these documents without much legal um, advice sought, and it was very much a case of here here's the direct, director's guarantees, uh, five years. Well, they offered three years. We're like, no, we're onto such a good thing. We want five, um, and I'm not sure to this day, Tim. If retail leases are even higher than what we paid for them in 2007, mm. uh, we, I think we were close to the top because since then, you know, with online shopping. Well, it was pre-GFC and, um, yeah, things were rocking along, weren't they? But um, yeah. they came to a sudden halt. What um, <laughs> uh, I'm just fascinated. Things the, – the, the proverbial does hit the wall and we'll get to that. But <laughs> what – what is going on in your head to think that there are, you've got to take these retail leases? Where did the money come from? What were you going to, how are you going to deck these shops out? Were you going to get you know, interior designers? What were you, there, there are so many unanswered questions that I'm guessing <laughs> even you hadn't answered. Absolutely, exactly. So we, like, the only way I can probably explain it is that at the end of each of these trading days we had, these casual leases, mind you, with zero overhead, we were just, you know, we were like, what do we do with all this money? This is so much money. Like, this is a roaring success. We need to, you know, and we're so bullish that, you know, nobody could have convinced us otherwise. Nobody. And and that's a, I think that's a, um, a symptom of, you know, bull, bull markets where, you know, mm-hmm. everything's going so well, you, you don't even consider that things would slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and at that age, we're, we're 24 and 25 years old as well. I think, I think we're, you know, I guess, What's the word you call it? Young and foolish, and yeah, uh, we, we young, and, yeah. young and young and dumb. I think it is, Jeremy. Yeah, yeah, young and dumb. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. Exactly. And well, um, yeah, you, you, so you set up. You uh, you're trading along. Just give us a set, an idea. Can you remember what uh, the monthly lease was on on one of these stores in one of these shopping centres? I can, and I, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that we paid this much. But one of our smaller stores on, in. Uh, we had, which was actually one of the the best um, in terms of revenue, was we were paying eighty thousand a year for two point four meters squared. That's that silence is not the phone line dying. Yeah, oh, I'm in shock. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, and look, 
from a marketing perspective, um, look, we, so the thing is we had tried these spots. We had a, a great try before you buy things because we had trestle tables in this exact spot beforehand. Yes. So from a marketing perspective, I mean, the, my big takeaway from it, from that t- era was that our walkthrough traffic was insane. I think I think the numbers, the shopping centers are very good at measuring numbers and selling the dream to, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of foot traffic. And that spot we had, which I won't name the center, apparently the second highest foot traffic place in all of melbourne and the first being flinders street station steps which is you know unleasable so um and look we certainly saw that i mean you know you don't need to advertise that your advertising is the rent when you know you have hundred thousand people walking past you every morning mm. um you just have to have the right product and uh you know the right market so you're trading along you're selling ties you're selling i think you had some other stuff you had shirts and things right just a few yep. accessories um mm-hmm. and come 2008, the GFC hits, and mm-hmm. what happens? So it was a, it was a, it was, a, it was almost a perfect storm. It was an interesting time because in the space of I remember it was probably three months. It felt like overnight discretionary spending just dropped off a cliff. Um, so our clients were actually about 50-50, even though it's men's accessories. It was a lot, you know, a lot of women are buying gifts for their partners and you know, brothers and fathers and that sort of thing, but. They both dropped off equally. I mean, it's like everyone had tightened their belts and, um, you know, they decided that tyres were certainly not on that necessary, you know, time to get a new tie um, discretionary yeah. spend list. So combination of people, you know, tightening their belts and then at the same time, um, there was certainly a trend towards people just going open collar. It was, it was strange to see, but you used to walk around and everybody in the city would have a tie and then all of a sudden, you know, maybe 20% would stop wearing a tie and you think, mm-hmm. It's not hot enough to not wear a tie. And then next thing you know, um, around I reckon between 2008 and 2010, straight after GFC, ties consumption in, in Australia probably dropped 50%, I reckon, in that period. Hmm. How were you? How was your headspace and, and Tim's headspace? Well, at the time, we we're, were kind of like, um, all right, let's just, you know, we're going to ramp it up. We're going to drive revenue. We're going to do specials. We've got a discount. And the funny thing is, I remember that point. We've had a few business mentors over the years, and that's something I'm a big advocate of, um, actually. But we had a few business mentors. I remember saying to the, the mentors, you know, we're, we're pretty much up uh, up the creek, and, uh, you know, what can we do? And keeping in mind that everything was legally tight and that sort of thing, tied down, there's not much you can do. I mean, you're literally a sitting duck. You can't get people, you know, you can't necessarily drive people to the store it's just mm. that's what you're paying for with the lease so we, we couldn't do anything we, we, we felt kind of helpless you know shopping centers try to help you but in in quite meaningless ways you know by putting for example an advertising uh poster in a in a in a lift but i mean you don't see any uplift from that for example but you know they say that's charged worth x amount of dollars but it doesn't really help you so you know after a, a did, prolonged did you period, stay strong yeah. mentally uh, if I'm being absolutely honest, I tried my best, but there was certainly um, a, a period where we were, you know, we, we, we discussed, you know, for probably a brief minute about throwing the towel in as far as bankruptcy and that sort of thing goes. We, we were literally leading thousands of dollars every day across all these stores. And, we, you know, we didn't send into it. And, and at that point, we didn't have any, you know, cash reserves where we could just say, okay, we're going to sit this out or anything. It was kind of like, all right, we're up against everything. We're, you know, okay, next up is we're selling our car or whatever to go through it. And it wasn't something that we wanted to talk about, but it was certainly something that we had to consider. Mm. Okay. So yep. uh, come pivot time, it's like you got to make a decision, right? Yes, that's right, yeah. And I think, remind me, something happened. Someone walked into the store and, you know, sort of forced that decision? 
Yes. So our saviour is a great, uh, great uh, company known as BMW. Um, we had a marketing manager from BMW come up to one of our stores in Southland, Westfield. And I, I still remember the call vividly because this marketing manager, I forget her name, she came up to our, our, one of our salespeople at the store in uh, Southland and said, look, I'm after 200 tyres for this um, motor show. And this is also when motor shows are around. And the girl called our office and said, you know, can we do these tyres or should I tell her to go away? I'm like, no, 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 put her on the phone. We need this. We need this. And uh, it was amazing because, you know, she didn't want a discount. She said, you know, 200 tyres, $40, these are great tyres. These are BMW colours. All we need uh, is you can get by the motor show. Mm-hmm. And so I remember, you know, thinking if this lands, and it pretty much it's landed straight away, um, this will cover our losses for, you know, three weeks or a month or whatever the case may be. And surely enough, it did. It was like the only positive news we'd had all year, effectively. And it, and it really got us thinking about how we're going to how we get dig ourselves out of the hole. Right, because yeah, at the point you're going, well, we either close and, and possibly declare bankruptcy or we actually pivot this business into what is now promotional products business, right? Correct, yep. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Love, a good love a good pivot. Was it a hard? <laughs> was that a hard decision given that there was another business that you had no experience in and that there was a learning and an investment of time and money and or was it like, hey, bankruptcy isn't an option. We're going to pivot and we're going to go and start another business. Look, I'd like to say it was a hard decision, but (laughs) it was kind of like when your back's up against a wall, the initial pivot was really who do we know who needs tyres? And we we caught up both our old schools and we said, you need some tyres. We know you do old boys' tyres, whatever the case may be. Buy some of our tyres. And you know what? They, that's probably the most captive market. You know, it's people you know, people who want to help you, and mm-hmm. they're tyre wearers, and they always will be tyre wearers. Um, so we hit some schools, and we saw, you know what? If we do X amount of schools, then that's going to cover, you know, us for the time being, to, and, you know, keep our head above water. Interesting. You, um, what you said then, um, a, captive, a captive market being people that you know who want to help you. That's uh, when, when you are in trouble, reaching yep. out to those people and saying, hey, listen, do you say you're in trouble or do you just know that in reaching out, you, they're more likely to say yes to you? I think the interesting thing about schools is, especially if you're alumni somewhere, and that's the same with the university. If you call up a university marketing fund and say, hey, I was a student from 2002, um, let's talk. I mean, they are not going to hang up on you. You know, That's mm-hmm. what I kind of mean by, you know, some, where, where there's a relationship, um, as opposed to trying to call, like we obviously don't do any form of cold calling and never have, but if you try to call a company, you won't get past the receptionist, um, you know, without some sort of link or contact. Yeah, I've, I've, I've blogged about that. I've spoken about it previously. Getting past the Doberman is a job, you know, it's a, it's a scary job. Someone's got to do yeah. it, but you need skills. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so we've pivoted. Um, we, how did you get out of all the leases at the shopping centres? You ride, <laughs> did you ride them out or did you run away or the people looking for you? Should I not be interviewing you? A combination, a combination of both. Um, we uh, sought some advice from, um, I believe he's still around, a guy called the Retail Doctor who, you know, um, gave us some good advice. And I think our final conclusions, we didn't see out every single one. We um, maybe cut short a few by a year without penalty. And I think that's, uh, look, to credit to the the uh, shopping centres for, you know, helping where they can, which is not mm. very much. But it's not in their interest to have a struggling retailer either. You know, when, when they see, you know, someone's trading badly um, and their product is no longer relevant to the market, then, you know, I think the writing's on the wall. They need to move them on as well. 
And as you well know by now, I could not do this show without the support of the wonderful guys at American Express. And if there was one card in their suite of cards that I'd love to draw your attention to, it's their Business Explorer credit card, which is a very, very sexy little beast. Here's why. Up to 55 days interest-free on purchases. Use their money, not yours. That'd be a good idea. You earn up to two points for every dollar spent. You can receive 50,000 bonus points if you spend 100K in the first 12 months. That's a bit of dough, but I'm sure some of you could do that with all the business expenses that you have. You get complimentary travel insurance, and you can receive, how's this, a welcome bonus of 100,000 points if you apply by Feb 4, 2019 and spend three grand within three months of your approval date. Pretty good. That's the Business Explorer credit card by from American Express. To find out more, all you need to do is Google Amex Business. And guess what? Terms and conditions apply. Check their website for details. I'm Timbo Reid. That is serial entrepreneur Jeremy Chen over there, and you're listening to the award-winning Small Business Big Marketing Show, thanks to American Express. Jeremy, we've talked about pivoting now. What about grinding it out? You know, what do you say to those listening who are maybe needing to make that decision? Do they grind it out? Do they pivot? That's a yeah, really good point. I think um, there's a few different angles on the whole grinding it out, and I think there's a right time to do it and it's a wrong time to do it and I'll, I'll be the first to admit I have thought about grinding out and have advocated grinding out in the wrong context and that is um, when our retail business was failing um, Tim my business partner was the one who said okay this is a sinking ship we need to you know look at the promotion side of you know start selling to schools start selling to corporates and I remember thinking you know what we're selling say $500 a day if we only got up to that up to $800 a day for example we'll cover our costs we'll be fine but I, I was determined that we could grind it out. We could discount. We could make you know, uh, make it work. And I still remember kind of arguing that point a lot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, fortunately enough, I was convinced that, you know, the, the, the grass was really green on the other side. So I think grinding it out on something which a flawed business concept is never going to work. Conversely, I think in the, my current business, we really do grind it out as far as with our sales team, with our processes, with our, with our leads and accounts. I think um, a lot of people look for the quick quick fix and the silver bullet when it comes to, you know, um, what they call them, the easy wins, the quick wins yeah. when it comes to sales and marketing, that sort of thing. And I think there are those out there, but quite often, you know, it's just persistence. It's, it's staying in front of mind. It's it's emailing. It's having your EDMs going out frequently. It's having being relevant, having the right product at the right time. And just, you know, I don't, I don't think there's necessarily anything exciting about, you know, staying front of mind, but that's what's mm. going to be, be, you know, get you the sales at the end of the day. Well, I would argue that. I would say that it is exciting. I mean, it's your business. It's your baby. You want people to have – you want to be on the top of that shopping list in front of mine when someone does, in your case right now, need a promotional product. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, I guess that's why I love marketing because there's the challenge of constantly trying to be there in what is a very crowded marketplace. It doesn't matter whether you're a vet or a promotional products agency. It's just busy, mm-hmm. right? There's no shortage yeah. of either. Absolutely. So, so I would encourage anyone listening uh, to – Make it a hobby of of staying front and centre and getting on that shopping list, and whether it be you know a weekly EDM through something like Mailchimp, or whether you can afford to run some ads on Google, or whether you're doing a podcast. I, I don't know, but I think therein lies the challenge. And you're a creative guy. I mean, that's the fun of business, surely. Yes, definitely. And look, I, I, look, I don't, I don't underestimate the creative side. You know, I'm sure with 
it's some really great social media marketing. You can stimulate the right interest for the right you know, market, that sort of thing. I think I just feel that quite often people think, you know, you can pay a, a social media in, um, or Instagram influencer, you know, X thousands of dollars and then, you know, you, you'll be the next success story. But what I would add to that is you can do that, but depending on your market, you need someone still pounding the pavement and, and yeah. you know, doing the legwork. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jeremy, um, wrapping things up, um, being pr- be promotive is your current business. Uh, it must mm-hmm. be now. Gee, I'm, I'm going to guess it's probably about 10 years old. Uh, yeah, it's coming up to that. Yeah, it's, go, it's eight, going okay. Eight, yeah. Mm-hmm. What yeah, look, what I'm... what makes it go okay? Because I've spoken to Clive, a previous guest on this show, Clive McCormick from Aridzone, who owns a promotional products business. Mm-hmm. They do some interesting stuff. I have got mm-hmm. a pretty clear idea. I, I speak at a lot of conferences. I see a lot of promotional products. Mm-hmm. Some bad stuff out there. What? Mm-hmm. How, how have you managed to keep going for almost ten years? Good question. I wouldn't put it down to uh, one particular thing. I would. Um, I think I've mentioned before that you know what we do. We, we we don't reinvent the wheel. There's nothing, you know, especially revolutionary about what we do. We are literally just trying to provide everything an easier way for the client to to uh, promote their brand through you know branded merchandise. And and for us that involves you know curating uh, really good promotional products. So it's very um, you know almost everyone anyone can tell you that. Most websites you go to will say, hey, we have over 10,000 products online. People we find aren't interested in 10,000 products. I mean, that, that's a good throwaway line, but people just want the best product that suits Correct. them. So we try to curate exactly what's hot, what's good at the moment, what's retail-worthy, and make it easy for them to find. I mean, half the equation, uh, you know, almost more important than price, is just finding quickly and easily what would suit your market. And people don't have time to search for 10,000 products. The best no, search no. in the world doesn't help. People, people want things you know delivered on a platter to them and, and and on the delivery side having everything you know delivered in a timely fashion with you know good customer service speedy responses that sort of thing just the fundamentals we just try to keep everything simple it's been the year of what was it called was it the fidget spinner or the <laughs> what, what what was that thing yeah it was literally look we we did have those at some point but i can't what, say what, what's next year's <laughs> That's a good question. I think I think the health and fitness um, well-being uh-huh. space is still certainly you know the one to watch, especially going okay. to summer. Yep, hydration. Okay. You know, um, there's some great brands out there um, that do uh, water with timings on it, how much water you should you should be drinking daily, and that sort of thing. And just everyone's okay. just a lot more health and fitness. Maybe, uh, a, maybe a gluten-free vegan stress ball or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Vegan, vegan leather. Yeah. Hey, Jeremy. Thank you, buddy. Thanks for sharing. What it's been a bit of a roller coaster ride for you. I, I think I'll give you a ring in ten years' time to see how many other businesses you've started and closed and started again. So uh, I look, for, I look forward to that chat. Well done, mate. Bepromotive.com.au is where you'll find Jeremy these days. Thanks, mate. Excellent. Thanks for your time, Tim. Well, there you go, team. Serial entrepreneur and almost Australia's first smoking monkey retailer, Jeremy Chen. Smoking monkeys, my goodness. I don't know whether they would have taken off. Hey, be sure to hang around after my top three attention grabbers as I am about to announce this year's winner of the Monster Prize Draw, who wins in excess of $3,000 worth of prizes. But first, my top three attention grabbers from that chat with Jeremy, thanks to our good mates at Design Crowd and American Express. Attention grabber number one. I simply love Jeremy's attitude towards pivoting or grinding it out. You know, sometimes you've got to pivot. Sometimes you just got to go, you know what? This isn't working. 
We've got to make a small change. And he, Jeremy did that, and look where he's at now. Or grind it out. Just kind of head down, bum up, and see where that takes you. Hard decision, but a good one. Attention grabber number two. Jeremy's idea of approaching his captive market when things were tight, I think, is really clever thinking. You know, those people who are already, they already know you and want to help you out, the low-hanging fruit. So if you're doing it tough right now, maybe reach out to your low-hanging fruit. Attention grabber number three. Heading to the Canton Fair was a great decision despite not knowing what he was going there for. Yet it certainly paid off. Sometimes we've just got to bite the bullet, get out of our comfort zone because guess what? That's where the magic happens. Well, that's what grabbed my attention. Would love to know what grabbed yours. Uh, Head over to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 442 and let me know. Come on down. It's Timbo's Monster Prize Draw. Well, it is time to announce the 2018 winner of the Monster Prize Draw. In case you have been living under a rock, maybe it's your first time listening to this show. Over the course of this year, I have been reading emails from listeners who have told me an idea that they've implemented from listening to this show and what impact it's had on their business. And at the end of the year, which is now, I said I would announce the winner who would win, amongst other things, a $2,500 hot lap with four-time Bathurst winner and past guest of this show, Steve Richards, in a racing Porsche, plus a bucket load of other prizes, which you're about to hear what they are shortly. But right now, let's go and find out who the winner of the 2018 Monster Prize draw is. Hey, is that Lindsay Marsh from Soda Grow? Yes. <laughs> Lindsay, it's Timbo Reid here from the Small Business Big Marketing Show. How are you? Yeah, I'm so good. I'm so nervous. Like, I've been thinking, I got your email. I'm like, what's he going to say? I love it. I love that nervousness. Do you have any idea why I'm calling you? I, I, I thought you were going to quiz me. And I was like, maybe I should listen to all, like, 400 and something episodes so I know the quiz. <laughs> That's a good thing. That would be good for my downloads. But here's the thing, Lindsay. You wrote me a lovely email earlier this year um, identifying some things that you'd applied from listening to this show for a segment called the Monster Prize Draw. Do you remember that? Yes, and I received some lovely gifts, yes. Good. Well, you're going to get more because you've won the entire 2018 Monster Prize Draw. Which you may not even know what that means, but what it does mean is you have won a lot of really cool prizes that have been donated by past guests, and the major one, are you ready for it? It's a hot lap in a racing Porsche with five times Bathurst champion Steve Richards, and you go about 300 kilometres an hour. And that's valued at $2,500, so that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, that sounds really good. My husband's going to be heaps jealous. <laughs> well, you, you, I was going to say you could take him along. You could probably take him along and he can watch you. And he can watch. I can wave. I'll wave as I go yeah, by. Yeah, 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 correct. Hey, but here's what else you've won, Lindsay. Two yeah. lounge passes to the American Express Lounge at Melbourne or Sydney International Airport, 66 bucks. Or an Orbit Key, yeah. valued at 50 bucks. 
The list keeps going. Two pairs of men's novelty socks for your husband. That's valued at 18 bucks. Thanks to Matt, it put a sock on it. A basin essentials pack from Saya Skincare. That's 79 bucks. Two my DNA test kits that'll help you identify things around your diet and your fitness, which I think we all need. That's 200 bucks. Eight canisters of yummy potato chips from the Good Chris Company. Six packs of Mr. Lee's Hong Kong Street Beef Noodles. A hamper from Ben's Bees. And the best thing of all, a link, another link for you on the Small Business Big Marketing site, and that's valued at over three grand. Whoa. Oh, I am just like, if you see my face, it's really right. <laughs> well, Lindsay, well, well done to you. Can you remember some of the things that you applied from the show were fantastic. Can you remember any of them? Oh, gosh, I've, I've applied so many things. I guess the biggest one was um, generating an email list and, you know, building my tribe and the people who follow me and being um, really connected to them and also just freaking do it, do it, which was, I think, Michelle Bridges. Yeah, that, that was the biggest one was all these things that were holding me back because I was such a perfectionist and I thought, just do it. It doesn't matter if it's perfect, just go home and, and sort it out and do it. And, and I've, grown from there. Yeah. A lot of what I do is because I listen to your show and it gave me confidence to go out there and do it. Well, I think you're awesome, Lindsay. You're one of the reasons, people like you are one of the reasons I do my show. Not one of, it's the reason why I do my show, small business owners doing big marketing and having an absolute crack. And I think the So To Grow website is just a great example of someone who's taken all those ideas and applied them. So thank you. No, thank you. Thank you for all that you do for us and the community. It's, it's, wonderful to have somebody like you to be in our ears coaching us every day absolute pleasure well uh, merry christmas to you enjoy that hot oh, it's going to be. <laughs> i may be there depending on timing but we'll be in touch on the email with all the details of how you, how all those prices are going to get to you all right so well done Lindsay. thank you so much tim <laughs> Oh, I love a happy listener. Well done, Lindsay Marsh. So to grow is her business, S-E-W, to grow, uh, .com.au. That is a wonderful outcome. Happy listener. Now, the Monster Prize draw is continuing next year. It'll start again in January. All you need to do is email me, tim at timreed.com.au, telling me one idea you've implemented from listening to this show and what impact it's had on your business. If I read it out on air... You win a prize or three and go into the draw to win a big prize at the end of the year, which I haven't quite decided on what that is just yet, but I can assure you it'll be a ripper. Righto, it's time for the advertising jingle of the week. This one dates all the way back to 1978 and launched Kerry Packer's Rebel Cricket Competition that we all know now as World Series Cricket. Back then, it was very, very controversial. Now, this jingle was so popular that it actually got released as a jingle for radio play and topped the charts for two weeks in February 1978, going double platinum. It's pretty impressive. I mean, how many jingles can claim going double platinum and being released for radio? Personally, I love this jingle. It's probably my favourite that I've played all year. It brings back memories of long, hot summers, of school holidays, and from streakers running across the cricket field. That doesn't happen as much anymore. But that was part of Aussie cricket back then, having the odd streaker. Anyway, I digress. Here's the jingle. You've been training all the winter, and there's not a team that's fitter. And that's the way it's got to be. Because you're up against the best you know. 
This is super test, you know. And you've got to beat the best the world has seen. Lily's pounding down like a machine. Pascal's making divots in the green. Marsh is taking wickets. Books, he's clearing pickets. And the chapel's eyes have got that killer gleam. Mr. Walker's playing havoc with the bats. Red path, it's good to see you back. Ladies making runs, Dougie's chewing gum, and Gilmore's wielding willow like an axe. Come on, Ozzy, come on, come on. Come on, Ozzy, come on, come on. Come on, Ozzy, come on, come on. Come on, Ozzy, come on. I love that jingle. I hope it stays in your head for a while. It's just one that uh, brings back so many wonderful memories. You can watch the actual ad over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 442. That almost wraps up another episode of the Small Business Big Marketing Show sponsored by American Express and Design Crowd. Remember, you can search Amex Business to find out how your business expenses can reward you and visit designcrowd.com forward slash Timbo to get 100 bucks off your design brief. You will love me forever, I'm sure, once you've used it. Got some great interviews coming up, including a chat with a full-time mum that's found herself creating joy for kids all over the world with a life-size doll. A fellow whose little pizzeria in Brisbane has found itself at the top of Uber Eats. No mean feat. And a raunchy chat with a couple who, according to them, organise the best hens parties going around. He's the male stripper. She runs the business. Don't forget there's an entire back catalogue of interviews over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. If you love the show, and why wouldn't you, grab another business owner's phone hit the podcast button, or app I should say, download the show for them, hit play, run away, do it again once a day, love you forever. Until next week, I am Timbo Reid. Thanks for tuning in. May your marketing be the best marketing. Bye for now.